Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Diet Time is here. That's right, we're talking about the Dream Master. Nightmare on Elm Street 4 on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal Patrick Hamilton coming to you once again inexplicably from 1428 Elm Street. This is the Kill by Kill podcast where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We're going to unpack all the gory details of Dream Master in the hopes that an unfortunate student's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make at their expense. Oh my God, there's a fucking leaf blower again. The only person that I trust that if I need to take karate lessons, she's going to tell me I'm doing it wrong. The one and the only Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing, Gina? Uh, I'm good. I'm back after our, our scheduling snafu last time. Yes. That's, you yes. Know, one, what the, because people are going to start thinking, I don't care about the podcast because I am constantly not showing up for episodes. Uh, that's not true there's been twice and both times i believe has been my scheduling problem no 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 one was mine uh actually okay. it was it was greyhound bus services oh that's it was, true it was, yes. it was their fault <laughs> but uh but no this last time was absolutely 100 percent your fault yes and, uh, and i shan't forget or forgive you for a very long time nor should you but i don't want to alarm you gina we are not alone. That's right. We have a special guest. She is a returning champion. She is the creative force behind GraveyardShiftSisters.com, a contributor to the re-energized and reborn Fangoria magazine. And she is the co-writer and producer of Horror Noir, a history of black horror that is streaming right now on Shudder. And if you have not watched it, you must watch it. And if you have watched it, watch it again. The one and the only Ashley Blackwell. How are you doing, Ashley? Hey, Sheila Kopecky Jr. in the house. (laughs) (laughs) Our very own and personal Sheila. How are you doing, Ashley? I'm so happy to have you back on the program. I haven't smiled this big for a long time now. I'm very happy to be talking about this movie. I know it is a personal favorite of yours, so let's get through all the niceties. Because since you've been here, lots of big things have happened, and they're great. But let's get down to brass tacks. Why you were the first person scheduled (laughs) for this entire run of Nightmare on Elm Street. You had the, the choice, the pick of the litter. What do you want? And you totally wanted Sheila, so let's have it. What was your first introduction to the Nightmare on Elm Street series? Well, if I could start a little bit really quickly, just by kind of the osmosis of it being in pop culture and everywhere, because I was mm-hmm. I was really I was pretty young when you really started seeing a lot of Freddie videos and having just Freddie just be everywhere. And it was always this kind of um, thing. And he was always this 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 entity, this this pop culture force that was kind of always around me. But I never seen the films because I was a little too young. And right. then the older kids would taunt me about, you know, behaving or not or misbehaving and if you don't and if you don't behave or if you get on if you get on that cheese bus Freddy Krueger's gonna get you so all these kind of little like <laughs> things that I was being teased with and I but I believed it because I was a kid and I had a really crazy weird imagination sure um but actually seeing a film it was definitely Nightmare 4 I don't remember the first time I saw it but I do remember and I as, as I tell this story all the time but I always I never I never get tired of hearing, hearing my voice tell it but it's you know 
Friday night movie, everybody has, everyone from, had a local station that used to just play like random films here and there. So when I was around seven years old, this was probably 89, 90, um, they would play Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, probably twice a year. But my crazy ass would go sit down in front of my television every Friday night until they play that movie. I don't care how many months I had to wait. I waited and I watched it. Um, I just loved it. I love that story. I love that you found it organically, that it just happened upon your eyeballs, that you'd heard about it, and that it sort of sought you out. So was this the beginning of you seeking out more horror? Yes, this is definitely that movie that goes, oh, yeah, I love this stuff. And especially because now I had the I had the autonomy to kind of like watch it on my on my own terms and kind of discover it. I didn't get too much pushback from my mom about, you know, watching certain things. She, she didn't really mind that I was watching horror. Um, you know, she because I mean, she would take me to movies and we'd watch TV shows together anyway. So she was a, a pop culture junkie just as much. Then I just gravitated towards horror and definitely Nightmare 4. And just the Freddy franchise was just 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 very seminal in what I do now. Excellent. I love it. I love it. I love it. So let's get right into it. So who's still left alive at this point in the movie? Almost everyone, as they have only killed off two-thirds of the remaining people from the Dream Warriors. Uh, We have unfortunately lost our very own Kincaid and Joey the Teardrop Killer. Uh, actually, I want to ask you before we move on, did you know that Joey had a disappearing teardrop tattoo? Because that was a first for me uh, upon our last rewatch. I knew he had it. I recognized it from part three. And then I, then I thought to myself, well, maybe it's something he kind of just wrote on his face and pen with. I don't know why I, that's that hasn't I mean, that teardrop thing has another connotation so, yeah, yes. you're right. So maybe he's a killer. That's weird. I don't know. <laughs> it's usually the silent ones. I, but I did recognize that it was gone for. That's right. It's the ones that don't talk you have to look out for. This is true. Uh, of course, he was also a debate champion. There's a lot of things about Joey that are confounding. But I do think it's a real disappointment to me that as soon as he got his hair looking really great, that's when he was killed off in the franchise. Well, he he couldn't he couldn't compete with Rick for excellent hair. I mean, come on. <laughs> but at least Joey's hair is free flowing. I mean, there's a bouncing and a behaving. Uh, there's certainly a hairspray element to it, but it's not frozen in time like Rick's, <laughs> which could not be moved if he stuck his head into a hurricane. He was the precursor for like all the white guys I grew up in high school with because they were so adamant about having their hair just be that way. Just have that 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 crispy, like frozen, <laughs> like as you use the word uh, hairstyle. And I was, once I tried to touch one of my friend's hair, he freaked out. I'm just like, you sound like a black woman <laughs> who's trying to get into a pool about touching hair. But yeah, it felt natural to me to see it. So let's rejoin the action with Alice talking to fish. <laughs> sure. Why not? Why not have a conversation with your fish? Alice's room is basically a poison ivy prequel waiting to happen. It's nothing but flowers and flower-related products. There's no point to this thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just supposed to be to establish that you know, she's a little, she's a little eccentric. She's, she's a little, she's a little different. True, she is a little different. Yeah, I get, um, I, I get, I, I don't remember if I thought this when I the last time I saw this movie. Man, do I get a 
really strong carry vibe from her. And and I mean I guess that's probably intentional. But I mean she's got the, you know, she's got kind of the carry hair and like the super frumpy clothes and then I, I just get that vibe from her. Yes. I I believe I described one of her outfits as some sort of picnic uh blanket with uh very low pockets. It's it's shapeless in a way that only that kind of says I'm Amish, but on vacation. <laughs> I, I just, I just love watching, you know, having, having, you know, come of age in the eighties. I always got a kick. I, I get a kick out of revisiting these movies and seeing how people thought that teenagers dressed in the, in the, in the eighties. Cause I, I'll tell you something, stranger things for all of its, uh, you know, the complaints that it gets for being, you know, oh, it's so big on like brand names and all. It actually gets the clothing pretty good. I am a lot of horror movies do not. No. Uh, I, because they're, they don't trust their script enough to establish what kind of people these characters are. So they have them dress either in like club wear or dressing like they're teaching vacation Bible school. And, and in most cases, teenagers did not really dress like either, either of those extremes. Although I do enjoy Brooks um, club MTV outfit. That yeah. She, she, wears she's like, she goes to school with like the tube top and the mini skirt and the leather jacket all, all at once. She is a background dancer in a Taylor Dane video that simply <laughs> has not started filming yet. Speaking of which, uh, when Joey's mom comes uh, back into his room, because we didn't really talk about the aftermath, because most of these things for a while, we just have not seen the aftermath. We've heard about them, but people very rarely wander into it for the last couple of movies. And now we're finally getting one. First of all, we're getting so much play on MTV interstitials. Oh yeah, and there's actually one thing I noticed about the soundtrack is there are a couple songs on the soundtrack that made got got like MTV played that 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 drama rama song the anything anything oh, yes. that was that was definitely a, a single well, it was a big single but it and, was a single and I think the Fat Boys one I don't know if I saw it on MTV again I was a kid so every a lot of details are fuzzy but I definitely remember that video oh yeah yes the the crazy thing about this is that New Line put it out to uh, the hip hop community. We need a song for this movie. And the fat boys won the lottery, but they had the fresh Prince and DJ jazzy Jeff version, a nightmare on my street. And they're like, Oh no way. We're going with an act. That's going to live forever. The <laughs> fat boys. But you know, unpopular opinion. I like the fat boy song much better. Yes. I, 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 I know it's an unpopular that. opinion. I can see that. I think musically, I would tend towards Fresh Prince. I think DJ Jazzy Jeff is an unheralded DJ uh, in terms of his musicality. And I will go out on a limb and say my favorite hip hop track on any Nightmare on Elm Street is the Houdini song, which is on the next film, uh, Dream Child, which uh, was on the back end. The music video was on the back end of the VHS tape. Get out. I love that one. I love I love the funky drummer beat sped up uh, that Stetsasonic made so popular. Uh, it's oh, I love that song. I used to practice uh, the running man with that ankle sw swing to the end of that music video. 
and it took me hours, but I, I got there. I won a dance contest uh, judged by the UNLV basketball team. How many times have I brought this up on the podcast? <laughs> I don't. It feels I, like 50. I don't think you have. I haven't? No. There, no, come I think, on. I think this is I think this is up there with uh, the story about you winning the the painter's cap. <laughs> it's all in the same. It's very the same time and space where I endlessly practice dancing while watching MTV raps and uh trying desperately to get those moves down so that I could have some marketable skill with women. It got me as far as winning a dance contest judged by the UNLV basketball team. Wait, what did you win? I The praise of the UNLV basketball team. <laughs> you didn't win in like a, like a Gustavic the Chess King or, or anything like that? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't remember what my prize was other than bragging rights, which I've held on to until right now, apparently. But yeah, lots of MTV interstitials here. And then his mom pulls back the sheets from his waterbed. And we find that Joey is inside the water mattress, which is clear. I get why. So we can see it. It's also lit from the inside, which seemed to be a major component in the dream part. But most people don't have a lit from the inside waterbed that their teenager uses. That's a freakier scene. It's pretty bitching, though. I mean, if you got it, is if you if you got to have a, a, a waterbed, you might as well have one that lights up <laughs> from the inside, so that it's like a white snake video. You just you sleep on it at night. This is a weird little inconsistency to, to you know, how people die in this in this universe. Like, okay, so in Kincaid's dream, he he gets he gets stabbed. And then he just wakes up, and I guess he's supposed to have had a heart attack. But somehow Joey does actually end up dragged under somehow in the in the in the in the mattress. Mm-hmm. So it's you know there's some interesting. I mean, obviously that exists for the the visual of him being stuck on, inside the waterbed. It does, and it's it's effective. I, again, when it comes to visuals, this film is alive and kicking. I think it's interesting stuff, and they had to come up with interesting stuff because when anyone opens their mouths. It's like dead fucking air because it was written in six days and then they mailed it on the seventh. So, and then the writer strike happened. Just like like, the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) They, they rested because the union said everyone has to stop working. So I think the Freddie powers here require some conversation because it was kind of defined in the first one. You fall asleep, you die in a dream, you die in real life. Now, it has real-life consequences. You can be torn asunder, you can be hung, you can be blended inside your bed with your television. (laughs) Um, But, so there were physical world reactions, but it, it took until Freddy's Revenge where all of a sudden psychokinesis starts entering into it when it's balls, balls, balls and more ways than one and Freddy's revenge. And then three things start to get really loose when we have a character sleepwalking, which is great. It's a great use of dream powers. We hadn't seen it up until this point, but then that character walks through a door 
And you're kind of like, well, wait a second. How magic is Freddy? Like, <laughs> what, it, what are the limits of his powers? Because that's nearly godlike to make a person who in real life is sleepwalking. You don't just like pop open the door for him. You make him phase through it like fucking vision from the Avengers. That's a different thing. And then now, you know, and he's kind of felled by a couple different things. I'm, I don't believe in you anymore. The power of love brought to you by uh, the Back to the Future soundtrack and Freddy's Revenge. And then he's killed off by a consecrated burial and belief in Catholicism by a scientist. My favorite so far. Now here, he's brought back to life by a dog peeing fire in a dream. And Ashley, what is happening in this movie with Freddy's <laughs> powers? You need you need to, to correct me. Like, how far off am I on how wild his use of supernatural powers are? I th- <laughs> it's a lot. I think, uh, yeah, it is a lot. And I think it's just the nature of this these this story that has certain consistencies that then it doesn't have certain consistencies just being in different hands i honestly i can't i'm not even going to explain i'm not going to give you some bullshit answer about like why this is possible i'm just going to say i'm just going to think about it more logically and say well there's different people coming up with different things and also never sleep again i'm sure all the listeners know is the best resource for like understanding what the hell they were they were thinking with certain things or what they were just doing and like you um tweeted out earlier about how um Rachel was talking about talking Rennie Harlan talking to James Cameron about like resurrecting Freddie and he goes a dog pisses fire like that's really funny <laughs> i just i, I, I fair, fair enough i'll just i'll just take that and just li- live with it so i uh, just uh, yeah well, yeah it's... i mean she's she's not the only the, the, the freddie power is not the only thing that seems to have uh for lack of a better word, evolved from the last movie. Now mm-hmm. Kristen can apparently force people into her dreams, which, which you know, if it wasn't that long ago that I watched uh, um, Dream Warriors, but it seemed to be that people had to be willing to do it. And but now uh, she's yeah. she's, just, she's just dragging people into her dreams, which is that's not cool. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, the movie te- seems to do away with the fact that these are all supposed to be very emotionally fragile people, and she's just still, yeah. Well, here I am back in this nightmare. Let me drag in Kincaid and Joey again against their will. Yes, and then you it's- know we're, we're, we don't even we haven't hit on it yet, but we're getting to where now Alice has some sort of power. Where she can not only do that, but she could also take on other people's abilities. I always thought that Kristen could just pull someone in because she does tell a story in three where she talked about when she was a girl being scared in her dreams and she would pull her dad in essentially. So I always thought that that was a thing that she could do. I didn't know it was I, I, always I agree with you. I agree with you. I do think it's a thing that she could do. And she she was at the beginning of being able to flex that power in Dream Warriors. So it was a harder journey for her. Now she's able to do it uh, whenever she wants. Like she's very strong that way. What I dislike in in the transition between the two things is we don't see Kincaid's evolution of his strength power, nor do we ever see anything akin to what Joey is able to do in Dream Warriors. If Kristen has evolved in her 2.0 guise, 
as Tuesday night who's unable to light a cigarette in a scene. And they're like, should we do a second take? No, thanks. <laughs> then why, why is Joey and Kincaid, why don't we see the evolution of their powers? And I just think they just wanted to do away with the characters. And I don't understand why, because they're cooler than, than nearly anyone who is here outside of Brooke and Sheila. Like, you could add Brooke and Sheila and get rid of Rick. Dan's a waste of space. <laughs> I, I know I know people are attracted to him. That's fine. I guess you could have him. But, like, Rick, <laughs> like, why is he in the same grade as Alice? Are they twins? They, or did they he, are. They are did, they're, according to a, uh, a wiki I read, they are supposed to be twins. Twins in that, that they were born in the same hospital and then one mom and dad were like, fuck that, <laughs> you can have them. Or, well, I mean, boy-girl twins don't always look exactly alike. But they look nothing alike. I, I'm just, I, you, you're casting these people. Why not get people who vaguely look like one another th- rather than. Patrick, you're talking, you're talking about an industry that casts George Clooney and Quentin Tarantino as brothers. <laughs> you're wondering why they don't get a couple of teenage actors that have the same hair color so they look more like twins. I don't know what the solid story on that is. Um, I do have a sidebar quickly. I do have a book on a nightmare on Elm street Four. that's that, that Mick Strawn, the production designer put out with um, this guy called Blake best. And it basically Ooh. it's, uh, it's like, it's basically them kind of talking to cast and crew, just getting kind of in-depth interviews, sharing photos you've never seen before, all this kind of cool stuff. But yeah, I haven't, I haven't done any deep dives into it just yet, so I'm still reading it um, bits and pieces. But, like, yeah, there's no firm story on whether or not they're supposed to be twins. Because, like, even in a documentary, he Andres Jones says, first we were supposed to be twins, then we weren't twins. So I don't even know if he knew. Again, I think this is all kind of a result of the writer's strike. I think they just had a vague idea. And they decided they didn't care at a certain point. And they were more interested in just making the floor look cool when you do an overhead shot. And I'm okay with that, but it, it does leave a lot of discrepancies. When uh, Alice walks in with Kristen into class and notices Joey and Kincaid's seats are empty, she freaks out. And Rick goes up to her and is like, oh, hey, are you okay? And then they have some sort of pushing contest. I don't know if you guys have seen Jaws 3D lately. But there's a pushing contest that happens in there that seems to reoccur in very quick motion here where Rick either pushes her into a wall or she just pushes herself and flies back and hits her head and is out for the count. And it just everything kind of happens on a I don't know, maybe she hits her head. Okay, that's what we're filming today. And that's what they did. I don't know. I never got that either. I feel like that's she probably knocked herself out because of stress and not sleeping. So I, again, I'm I'm rationalizing probably what's irrational, but basically that's what it always seemed like to me. And I kind of just shrugged it off and said, I'll, I'll accept that. <laughs> oh no. Well, here at the kill by kill podcast, shrugging things off. It doesn't work for us. That's why we brought <laughs> you here. We, we brought you here to be a defender, to be a staunch voice pro dream master while we chip away with our goofy jokes. So uh, let's get into another goofy joke. When we cut to Freddie and drag <laughs> as this is human cameo number two for Freddie. And it's very weird to see Freddie teeth on a real person. 
This is the first time they've pulled this gag. Also the first time that I've seen Robert England dress as a woman. And maybe I want to see more of it. Maybe. <laughs> got some crazy nails. It does have some crazy it nails. It reminds me of that, that, that bizarre meme that's going around with the with Chris Evans with like a wig and like and like really long press on nails. <laughs> yes, that where where all the Avengers look like they've been to the nail salon and claws. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. And if I can relate anything to claws, I'll do it. So I was yay, happy. yay, yay for claws. <laughs> uh, right now on TNT. So Freddie. <laughs> is about to murderize her and uh she slowly but surely realizes that this nurse is is actually freddy he turns around and the entire nursing room is is covered in blood and he's squirting blood out of a syringe again freddy and syringes this is two movies in a row <laughs> i'm not sure what it is with freddy and syringes but it's all a dream and she wakes up and everything seems to be fine. So Freddy is still confined to when people are asleep until the script needs him not to be. Got it. So let's cut to Culver City and the Craven Cafe. <laughs> Craven. Craven. Uh, it's a very quaint sandwich shop right now. It's surrounded by multi-million dollar homes and Sony, and Sony Studios. Uh, this is where we establish that Dan, the very hot guy who uh, seems to have a lot of eyebrow for one person, <laughs> nevertheless, too. Um, he's re- really into motorbikes, and that will come into play in the next movie. and has zip all to do with this one. Well, at least they tied it into the fifth one. Again, There's I'm defending this there. movie. <laughs> yeah, at least it's there. I don't know. They they, they tried. <laughs> they did. They tried. Um, I don't know what band is singing uh, Pride and Joy on the soundtrack when they walk in, but it sounds like a hair metal version of a Billy Joel song. <laughs> Sheila, in this particular scene, appears to be dressed like a Burger King Kids Club cartoon character. She has uh, shorts on that fold over at the waist, which is a very interesting look. But she's one of the few people out of uniform here. So she's getting all the cool 80s looks while everyone else looks dowdy in their Alice drag. Apparently, uh, Toy Newkirk worked with, like, she they worked with a stylist and... Um, she was so yeah. It's, I think it said in the script she was supposed to be nerdy, and it's like okay, but what can we do that's like not like you know what kind of nerdy? So and I think they kind of decided on the kind of kind of the mod eighties mm-hmm. look that was going on at the time, I guess, and also like it tied into like the Vespa that she was driving. So that's the look that they were going for. Again, I was a kid, so I don't know how successful they were at that look. <laughs> I think she wears it well. I think. Brooke wears her sort of crazy club MTV look well. Her hair is insane. Um, everyone's hair is kind of insane in this movie, but I think it was an insane hair time. During this, uh, Brooke, Sheila, and Alice trade barbs about who is horny and who isn't nearly horny enough. And that is when Rick and Kristen walk in and the song instantly changes to Love Kills by the Vinnie Vincent Invasion, oh a God. band... Who had a record deal? Apparently, sure. Why not? Yeah, he uh, 
don't ask me why I know this. He ended up playing with Kiss for a while. And that's pretty much all sure. he was known for. Okay, I'll take that as an answer. At least we got one. Kristen shouts during her confrontation with Alice, we were a team, which they're <laughs> uh, not exactly the X-Men. Again, they could have been the X-Men. That would have been cool. I think on the poster for Dream Warriors, they were a team. In the movie, they're kind of a, a, a collection of teens who don't quite have their shit together, but it all works out for them because luckily for all of us, Craig Wasson was on the job. Lead character of the Dream Warriors, Craig Wasson, making yet another appearance here on the podcast. For human years. Pile, human pile of mashed potatoes, Craig Wasson. <laughs> Failed audition for the greatest American hero, Craig Wasson. You know, I actually believe that. <laughs> That is 100% plausible. Yeah. Well, they got the same hair. Sure. Why not? I love how he's not even in this and we're just still dogging this poor man. Oh, Craig Wasson is our punching bag for the (laughs) remainder of Nightmare on Elm Street. (laughs) Until we get to to the remake, which just all bets are off. Yeah, that's true. Then we'll be begging for a Craig Wasson. For years, I did really think he was Bill Maher. I was convinced. Even, (laughs) even, even... Even if the IMDb said he was somebody else, I'm like, no, this is Bill Maher. What the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) Well, they both had that blonde curly mullet. Uh, They both had an incredulous look on their face. (laughs) And they both had movie careers that completely petered out in the 80s. So they're not that far off. Only Craig Wasson apparently does very well now reading books for um, audiobooks. Apparently he's great at it. So when you're not staring at that haircut, like it comes alive. So he's got that going for him. He doesn't need us. Like he's above us. He's fine. We're punching up on Craig Wasson. (laughs) Let's punch down on Rick. Rick in this fucking scene is dressed in a, he looks like Ferris Bueller on a crisp, crisp fall day. He's got a, a green cardigan over a patterned vest over a white T-shirt with a visible necklace. This is nuts. This is not how people dress. This is how uh, a mannequin at Chess King dresses. He's the cool guy. You know, there's always there's always a, a, a cool guy in these movies. I think Dan is cooler just because Dan's into motorbikes and he's got two neurons to rub together no, in his no, head. No, Dan is the jock. Oh. The jock and the cool guy can't be the same. Per- Come on, Patrick, you know this. <sighs> Do I? You know your 80s, your, your, your 80s cliches. The jock and the cool guy cannot, just so you can't occupy you know, the same timeline as another version of yourself. Oh, we're on my time cop rules here. The, 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 you know, the, the jock and the cool guy can never be the same person. Very true. Very true. That would be like, that would be like saying, do you remember, remember just one of the guys? And we're, yes. we're, we're going to, we're going to totally lose Ashley with this old ass. <laughs> like, hey, I actually do remember that movie because it was the first time I saw boobs on a mo- in a movie. All right. You yeah. Know? It, okay, it's the reason my parents canceled HBO. Just one of the guys. <laughs> watch, watch it on a Sunday afternoon. Everything was fine until that that end reveal. Well, I don't, I don't think a lot of the the kid brother stuff was fine either. No, <laughs> but it, no, that really that's... kicked it over the edge. But go on, Gina. I, I was going to say that the that, that see the cool guy in that movie was also named Rick. He didn't start out cool, but he got cool later. 
Yes. But that would be he like was, if, but that would be like if Rick was played by William Zabka. It just it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't work. William Zabka will never be the cool guy, always be the jock. I will grant you that. Uh, you're totally the expert. We are going by Ron Sil- actor activist Ron Silver rules in RoboCop when it comes to cool guys and jocks. Got God it. rest God rest his soul. Have you seen um the the kung fu movie he was in with Chuck Norris where Chuck Norris fights a Michael Myers? I believe I have. Is is that Silent Rage? It is Silent Rage. Good lord, so yes, he, I have seen that movie. So actor activist Ron Silver is one of the evil scientists who kind of like is the first one to go fuck this guys we're reanimating the corpse of a serial killer and he's killing people we should probably stop this and the michael myers guy decides to kill him in his house and he does and he hangs him on a hook on a door and when 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 chuck norris and his girlfriend that he he harasses into sleeping with him again come in to discover their bodies ron silver is on the door with gray makeup on and still breathing very heavily for a corpse i think you need to put that on the list (laughs) oh my god it could be be very low on the list but but i think we need to put on the list stay tuned for that one (laughs) there's a lot of there's a lot of bar fight unsuccessful bar fights at least i'll be able to tell the story of my aunt who was in love with chuck norris and uh, we used to make fun of her because of it. She was visibly like when you talked about Chuck Norris, she, she clutched her chest a little bit, like thinking about it. Oh my God. And auntie Joan uh, was in particularly in love with his uh, Texas Ranger precursor, which was not this one, but another one lone wolf McQuaid in which he's buried in his truck in a giant pit. And then they, they cover it up with a tractor uh, so he's under the ground inside of his truck. He pops open a Coors can, drinks it, and drives out. And that's the sequence. <laughs> he drives out of being buried alive. <laughs> that is in the movie. They kept it in the movie. Ashley, are you still with us? <laughs> Barely. <laughs> Is this the whitest shit you've ever been forced to listen to? Surprisingly, no. Oh, okay. Well, all right. We're just you wait. I'm full of it. So, Ashley, I'm going to take this to you because you're more of a Nightmare on Elm Street expert than I might be. Kristen refers to 1428 Elm Street as Freddy's house, Freddy's home. It isn't at all. Why is, why, why is that? his go-to because like his glove was there for a little while. And so far on the killing fields of 1428 Elm street, we have one drunk housewife who's choked out while on fire and birds, birds explode. And that's it. So it's not like Freddie's been killing people at 1428 Elm street for the entirety of this franchise. Why is 1428 Elm street Freddie's home? Do you think? So it, that confused me when I saw the other sequels and, and the original, and I was like, "Wait a minute, that's technically not his home." But yeah, I think it. I think it's a, a more of a, like a spiritual explanation because yeah, I mean, you you said it, it. His glove was there, so that would be my interpretation of why he's chosen to. That house has been kind of symbolic of like what's kind of the his his post burning 
sure. domicile, so to speak. Like, I guess that's for like all of that's this, his physical space where the, with where the mythos lies in a sense. So okay. that, that's just, I don't think there's anything deeper than that to it, but um, that's just my opinion. Um, we get a comeback here in this sequence. Uh, and that is from Brooke Bundy. She's back as Kristen's uh, mom who constantly shouts on delay at her. I, I love her real estate business. Um, I love that Kristen t- tells her off and says, you just murdered me after she's given sleeping pills. Um, I love that they bring back on delay. When Kristen reaches her room, there's a Garfield poster on the wall that I can't read the words to. So if anyone can find this, and I looked for it for 45 minutes, if anyone can figure out what Garfield poster that is, where he's holding a tennis racket and is apparently near a volleyball, I'd love to know what Kristen's thoughts were, how that particular Garfield poster represented her and her life i'd love to know what that is we get the first of many many overhead shots here which i think are pretty cool of Kristen looking around her room for something and finally just passing out uh we get to see a rock magazine and another johnny depp cameo of his headshot this time inside of a bop magazine that's on the floor so Johnny Depp cameos. I, I We're not done had, with them yet. I probably had that issue. I mean, he was pretty. He was a pretty man back then. An asshole, but he's a pretty man. Just when you thought it was safe to sunbathe near a lagoon on a golf course, uh, it turns out that Kristen has dreamed herself into a sandy beach, which isn't really a beach at all. It's a lagoon yeah, on a golf course. Um, but Freddie's glove appears like a shark's fin, you know, a flaming shark's say, fin. It just catches fire. It catches fire due to uh, resistance. I think it's going too fast. I don't, I'm not sure. I don't know how. It, I don't know how science works. I, I think. I think it it caught on fire because Rennie Harlan said, "I think that would look cool if the glove caught on fire." I think that's this think time that's the glove catch on fire. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's literally all the thought that's put into it. It'll look cool if the, if the glove catches on fire. Now, this this sequence has become somewhat famous. Now, we, we even we have the icon of Freddie in the sunglasses uh, from this particular sequence. But what I did not remember is that after the Freddie Finn glove fin arrives on the beach, he explodes out of a sandcastle, <laughs> which is, I wouldn't say it's scary. I wouldn't say it's scary, but it is interesting <laughs> to look at. Um, and then, of course, uh, he pulls an old uh, blood beach on Kristen and she falls into 1428 Elm Street, but upside down again, the visuals in this movie are cool if they are just you know they 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 spent you know however much on on the visuals and about 18 dollars on the script (laughs) well that's what you get for six days worth of work pretty much i think this was a five million budget i could be wrong that's i think that's what i heard yeah i they that's what they say on the never sleep again documentary but all the documentation that I've seen says that Dream Warriors was five million and that this was thirteen million. 
And I oh. think you can really see the upgrade in terms of the amount of sets and the amount of special effects. I mean, there's some crazy shit happening in this movie that aren't just on found sets. Like the the classroom that we're going to get to and turning the living room of 1428 upside down. Like all that stuff had to be built. And it, I think they put all the money on the screen. Um, it's also the movie that made the most money out of all of them before the remake came along, which is inexplicable and insane, but true. Are you going to force yourself to do the remake? That's the bargain we made with ourselves. We now I'm not going to say we're going to do like 14 episodes on it, but um, you know, I think we're going to do a couple. Aren't we ultimately going to end up doing that and Freddy versus Jason, like one right after another. Yeah. I mean, we'll do something in between there, but yes, yeah, we're, yeah, that, that, we're going to yeah. be exhausted on a level not seen since Jason X. <laughs> I'm going to try to go into this with a non-Jason X attitude because I think my Jason X attitude was hampered somewhat by my disillusion because I had remembered Jason X as a lark, as a goofball film. And it turns out that I wanted to strangle it. I wanted to put it in my hands and choke it choke the life out of it i hate it i hate it so much flames flames up the side of my face about jason x you're not alone speaking of which um freddie's boiler room has gone full susperia uh Kristen summons alice and why is everyone sleeping in the fucking daylight i mean Kristen has been drugged i get that but why is alice asleep at dinner time on a wednesday none of them are sleeping pr- properly you know the whole you know we oh. have we have you know matching luggage which is which is a very cute saying i, I like that i'm not going to compare my i'm going to now compare my on my under eye circles to other people <laughs> that will make you very popular at parties because everyone loves having the deformities of their face pointed everybody out everybody loves having their eye bags pointed out <laughs> yeah people love that <laughs> That's that's one of those secrets to success, I think, in one of them like books. Like, you know, going up to a man and patting his, tum- his stomach and going, yeah, overdoing a little bit there, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like patting men's beer bellies and saying. Yeah, make, uh, make, uh, make a jiggle a little bit, you know. Yeah. Like, when are you due? I think it's fun. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Kristen summons, summons Alice. Uh, and so now the last Elm Street kid has done the one thing she wasn't supposed to do. And that's continue the trail. Because now, apparently, this is the clause that Freddie was looking for. So yeah, now this, he is, can... this is where this is where the movie kind of loses me a little bit. <laughs> because <laughs> nobody's really mad at Kristen after after all this. And and you know. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, I accidentally brought it to you into this nightmare hellscape (laughs) and and passed on this power so this otherworldly being will now torment you and your friends and loved ones till you're all dead. I'm sorry. Whoops. Oopsie-doos. My bad. I I didn't mean it. All we need is one my bad. Everyone everyone you love will die horribly. You know, I'm sorry. Ugh. What are you going to do? High school, you know? Happens uh, we, to the best of us. 
<laughs> you, you just, you know, you pass on, it's a rite of passage to pass on a, a power to one of your friends that will leave them and their loved ones vulnerable to, to a sleep demon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we all do it. Uh, we all wear unfortunate yeah. things that we regret in pictures and we all pass on sleep demon curses. Because I'm a dork about this, um, <laughs> I... So, I, I it logically, no, it, it, I agree with both of you. It does not make any sense. But I think because this is Alice's movie, this is a part of her, this is the, the what happens is a part of the bigger picture and is a part of her arc. So, I mean, which I'm not going to go into detail because I'm going to really put you to sleep. I, I wrote about it, but, you know, it, that's how I've always kind of seen it. And I, I, I like it for, for the lulls and the dramatic effect of it. I think you're absolutely right. It does make sense for Alice. And where it's losing Gina and eyes, it doesn't make sense for Freddy. And I think if they had, you know, gotten two weeks to work on the script, they might have figured that part out. And it's just the fact that I wish the thought process was as as well put together as the visual process of the movie, because it's rather stunning to look at. The effects are cool. I mean, when Freddy suplexes <laughs> Kristen into fire water it's cool it is cool she's surrounded by fire water and then she zaps out of some sort of force ghost that passes through <laughs> freddy's soul chest and into alice and now alice has kristen's ability but also the curse of freddy krueger that is something that totally happens in this movie when alice wakes up she goes to her mirror which we will see as a returning motif in the film. On that mirror, lots of interesting behind-the-scenes photos of the actors in this movie, but also one picture of a woman in a dress with Rennie Harlan's cut-out face pasted over it. (laughs) So somewhere in Alice's life, she knows this Nordic guy, this giant Nordic guy, that she cut the face out of and pasted it over... A woman's body. That's something in this movie. (laughs) I'm not making up. It's really happening. But she also finds a postcard uh, from Freddy saying, uh, see you in hell. (laughs) Well, you know, it's it's nice to be thought of when your your friends are on vacation. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Very true. And this alerts um, Alice to the real world danger of Kristen um her screams call in rick they race over to Kristen's house which is the same house from part three on the outside not the inside they go upstairs and Kristen has totally pulled a joyce from the first movie she's burning alive in her bed only she's not being lowered into a phantasm pit so we don't get that part and wait a minute yes did her mom not know that her house was on fire that She's very busy hiding the bourbon I, from her next gentleman caller who will <laughs> invariably ask, where's the bourbon? And she's like, you can find it. You know, it's somewhere on my body. I don't know how her dating life works. She, she's grinding down the next day's sleeping pills to make with breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what you do when your child's having problems. You drug them. You drug them into better habits. Yeah, I mean, we, we were now four movies strong in, in, in Elm Street having the worst parents imaginable. <laughs> oh, man. This neighborhood is just 
terrible, terrible parents. They need, they need some parenting counseling. They, they just need some sort of like support group. Speaking of parents being where they need to be, smash cut to a graveyard where we learn without any dialogue, without any contributing voiceover, that Kincaid is buried one plot over from Nancy Thompson and her dad. And then Kristen is buried right next to her. That's it. It's just a shot of grave markers. They're all buried next to one another. This is very convenient for the cameraman. That's got to be the very least. That's got to be a really crowded cemetery at this point. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they got to be like, they got to be like stacking bodies, like three deep at this point. (laughs) <laughs> you know nobody nobody could you know nobody's business is booming more in this town than the local funeral director <laughs> like i said springwood is very very small it is um of course it's big enough to have a gigantic fountain that just so happens to be located outside of griffith park along los Feliz boulevard it's spelled los Feliz, but everyone here in this dumbass town calls calls it los Feliz. um it's the William Mulholland Memorial Fountain. And this is where we see a lot of B-roll of all the cast rolling around on top of one another in weeds. <laughs> Improvising dialogue. Uh, and if you think, oh, that's a lot of improvised dialogue, just you wait. Everything that Rick and Alice say to one another in the living room, also improvised because... That scene was not written down, and the director, Rennie Harland, could barely speak English at the time. So they just made it up themselves. That shows an admirable spirit, if nothing else. (laughs) They get through it. It might be the most well-written scene in the entire movie. I'm not going to say that out loud. Whoops, I just did. Um, Let's cut to the following day. When Alice has now, we're starting to see the results of her possession with the soul of Kristen. So just as Freddie attempted to possess the body of Jesse in part two, now the, the body hopping thing is again something that's consistent with this movie universe. So at least I get that she's inexplicably lighting cigarettes and then saying to herself, I don't smoke. Which you go on a long fucking way. You pulled out cigarettes and a match to light it. And you just now realized you don't smoke. That them's crazy, y'all. <laughs> and she's, did, like, she's like, I don't smoke. <laughs> I did think it was odd that she took on their qualities. I can see power. I can see, I can see, you know, having a little, little superhuman strength, maybe a little bit and pulling people in your dreams. I get, I get, I get, I buy that. But like, as an adult, like I, I still watch this as an adult and I still love it, but there are some things where I'm just like, all right, come on y'all. And I think that's one of them where I'm just like that, like just taking on the qual, just like person taking on personality traits does not, I, I see why they do it again, but at the same time, it's like, I don't think it's, nece- I don't think it's necessary. I don't know that it's necessary, but it, it there, the internal logic of the same thing kind of happens in part two because Jesse isn't nearly as sweaty until Freddie takes over his body. And then he's intensely sweaty and wearing sweatpants and harassing young people and making balls fly at people's face. 
that's all Freddy's stuff. Jesse can't do that unto himself. It's all Freddy's powers. So when Kristen comes into Alice, she gains the power to enter people's dreams and smoke. There you go. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it isn't necessary, but but we also would not have the nunchuck scene if they didn't have it, which is probably like my favorite scene. Where I'm just like kind of just like snickering at it. <laughs> Um, also, Sheila uh, gives us uh, the uh, Chekhov's uh, ch- cockroach reference number two here uh, by telling us uh, that uh, uh, another character that what is her name? Fuck. I don't even remember. She's such an inessential character that the, she is. But yeah, she has I, a cool death. She has the, a really cool oh, death. Debbie? Debbie. Yeah. Debbie. Sure. Um, is it Debbie? Yes. It is Debbie. <laughs> Don't ever question me about this movie. Or is, so is Brooke is Brooke her character Brooke name? Or? No, that's her actress. That's her name. Oh, Brooke I've been Fies. calling her Brooke this whole fucking time. Oh, people I'm an idiot. Know, people will know who you're talking about. Will they? Yes. Uh, I've never I, listen. You could, you it's not like this and, is a show about details, Gina. You could go back and just record yourself and be like, "Yep, Debbie." <laughs> you know, just make the most natural overlay over, the, over your already recorded track as possible. Um, so Debbie, uh, doesn't like bugs, uh, which were told and, uh, shown. And so this is the second reference to her dislike uh, of, of bugs. I, I do think, I do think it's pretty funny that, that they think that she's overreacting to, to you pulling out a potato chip with a very large cockroach on it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, myself, I am not a fan of insects at all. I, I would be doing more than just, you know, stomping the potato chip in the right. I'd be running around screaming like Daffy Duck. <laughs> and they're all like, oh, don't make a big deal out of it. Just a giant fucking cockroach. On if you, in, if you in, pull in out the a potato bag, chip with a bug on it, like you're going to fucking the react. bag that she pulled this potato chip out of. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's not it, cool. This did not look like a potato chip to me. Every time I look at it, it looks like um, dried fruit. I don't know why. <laughs> But it doesn't look like a potato chip, and like, yeah, I could be wrong. I don't know. Some sort of no. I think you're right, though. That's the thing. And but it, it never. But it didn't. Like, yeah, you're right. Because like now I'm like, wait a minute. She pulled. She so there's a cockroach in the back. Like I would be scarred for life. The but back. I and would I would be like, I'm just like a fountain of vomit. Like everywhere. Yeah. It would be like, <laughs> it would be like the meaning of life just everywhere. It's gross. It's gross. So it's not like p- people act like, oh, she's such a goofball. But no, no one, no one wants that. No one's okay with that. And you're weird for thinking they would be okay with that, Rick. That's why you were held back several years with your twin sister. <laughs> air um, quotes, twin sister. Yeah, real that's, air that's quotes. What started, that's what you started telling. I actually knew somebody in high school who had a brother a couple years ahead of who failed so many times that they just started saying they were twins. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, so, just, so, just so nobody had to know that his brother was like a 20-year-old high school senior. Um, in class, um, which I can't remember what math it is. Is it Physics. physics physics so in place um sheila has stated that she has been up all night studying obviously alice has had a traumatic experience being possessed by someone else's soul and meeting freddy krueger that'll do something to your your rems so they're both kind of in and out of it but sheila immediately sort of passes out and 
why no one has made a gif of the the math problem on her on the page in front of her uh i'll never know that's there isn't one that's absolutely what math looks like to me honest to god yeah. if, I'm, if i'm just staring at some equations they're just gonna start like moving around the page for me um yeah there, I have, no, there, i've yet to find it there's gotta be i feel like i've seen it okay uh, yeah that's a sidebar for <laughs> a, a mission that we'll have to have again we we put a call out and someone did finally find us one gif of freddy's skeleton celebrating uh which i love but i can't always use because it's on someone's weirdo web page um but we do get a message from freddy learning is fun with freddy um made of the ink also uh, there's a flower growing out of the word problems. I'm not particularly sure what that's all about. If that's just an animator having fun. Um, but it turns out that this classroom has now entered Freddy's dream world. The dreamscape, as it were. Uh, Freddy uses his claws uh, practically for one of the first time to peel an apple, which I think, uh, you know, you try to peel an apple with your middle finger and see how far you get. That, that's some fucking skills right there. Um, so Sheila's first attacked via dream math and then some sort of gobot arm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm not really sure, uh, what the gobot arm is representing. I mean, obviously she is an I, inventor of devices. Is I that think what it's that's supposed coming from? To, yeah. I think it's supposed to appeal to her engineering sensibilities. I don't know to freak her out. To, I don't know to like use technology against her, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Um, but finally, she's she's harmed by what harms us all, and that's unwanted sexual advances. As <laughs> Freddie gives her the tried and true she's all that treatment by removing her glasses to make her more <laughs> desirable. <laughs> and um, of all the references in Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, to be honest with you, the one I have the hardest time is they use what the characters call kissing in on golden pond as a way to kill somebody sucking face. Yeah. A, a phrase that thank the Lord never really entered the actual vernacular American vernacular. No, but it does provide Sheila with a pretty awesome death sequence in which her very life essence, nay, all the moisture and bones in her body are sucked out through her mouth and she is left a desiccated skeleton hearkening back to her asthma, which is like, that would be something that someone would be afraid of. Here we go. Now we're on track. Like there's a lot of good things going on in this movie. And this is one of them. My embarrassing story when I was a kid. So when I first watched this for the first few times, I just thought Freddie was into sisters and that made me very happy. <laughs> and now that I'm older and understand the context of like why he did what he did, I'm like, oh, Ashley, why did you think that when you were a kid? I, I Well, now I, I know why. <laughs> I'm not going to get too <laughs> deep into that. But that's what I thought as a seven, eight-year-old child. Well, we don't have any evidence that he's not. <laughs> so we got that going for us. Um, yeah, you know. He's, he is romantically interested in black women and murdering children. I mean, who wouldn't want to take that home? Oh, God. Boy. Um, 
so that uh, that is the end of Sheila. Unfortunately, I wish we had more of her. Um, I, I feel like that she's one of those characters that could have lasted longer. Whereas um, Debbie, th- you could have easily slid slid Debbie's death into this and kept Sheila a- along for a lot longer. I I don't know why they chose this particular route to the end sequence, but there you go. I don't know either. Um, I always, this was, um, you know, I, I always love this particular movie as an example of when it, I hate this, I hate the term black people always die first in horror movies. Cause I've always, I've been watching horror movies for a lifetime. So I know that's not true. And when I hear people say that as either they're trying to be funny or just using, using an excuse not to watch them, it really bugs me. But I think when we're kind of talking about that, that particular topic, I think this is a movie that's a great example of it. Um, also, yeah. just on the level of just not just death, but also the idea of like these characters, like you know, we see we see Kristen and Joey's parent, but we don't see Kincaid's parent. So he 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 doesn't get like a a, a bat. We don't really know who he is really. And also, I think the same with Sheila as well. And I think that's why while their deaths are. I, I don't know if the term is unceremonious or not, but like, it just feels like kind of like a, it's a sadder cop out. Cause you don't even really know who they are. They don't have the, the, the internal life that some of these other characters have. I agree. I wish that we had some assembly. I, first of all, Kincaid, neither Kincaid nor Joey should have died off as quickly as they did. I think that's a structural problem in the film. Secondly, I think one of the reasons that, trope took on a life unto itself is is that there are very high profile examples of it being true as opposed to true across the board and this would be one of the biggest most popular horror movies of the late 80s it made nearly 50 million dollars and it just blew everyone away just like a one-two punch of Dream Warriors and Dream Master making a ton of money for New Line. And New Line knew that this had a huge audience in the African-American community. And instead of engaging with that black audience and thinking, how can we honestly exploit it to the best of our ability? How could we grow it? They kind of trivialize it. And I think it's a, it becomes a fucking bummer, especially when you have cool characters like like Sheila's cool she's got a lot of shit going on and I wish we had more of her across the board and they spend so much time killing old characters from the old movies that it kind of undoes our ability to meet new characters and grow to love them the way we should yeah and she was not a stereotype and I think that's why she made such an impact Oh, and not, not clearly, not just me, but other, especially other young black girls who were around, we were all around the same age at the time and loved horror movies and saw this movie. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just seeing this girl who looked like me and she also wore glasses. And yeah, I, it just, it, it really, it, it's funny because like, I, I'm not used to like, you know, representation. We say it all the time. It is, it really, really, really does matter. Cause I probably wouldn't be here today if, if yeah. not for that movie. And there's just that one scene that she and she's this character that dies off early, but she still made that big of an impact. And even the actress herself is still kind of floored by that kind of response from it, from her role. But yeah. 
I think she's one of the better examples of the reason why we started the podcast, which is if you're only given so much time to establish what your character is before they're going to be knocked off, how are you going to do that? How are you going to bring to life whatever's on the page? How are you going to bring to life whatever the costumer gives you to wear? And Toy Newkirk does that. Like she's a great example of making a huge impact when she's not given a whole hell of a lot to work with. I think yeah. other people try, but I think she may be one of the most successful in the movie. Yeah. And she plays off with the other um, characters and actors, actors pretty well. She doesn't, she doesn't stick out like a sore thumb. She's kind of integrated in a sense. Um, I, I just, I, I, everything about her character, I really love. It's not, it, it just, the, the, the physical embodiment of her, but even the way she presented herself. Cause again, I was, I hated to, I always hated to be put in a box and to see someone not in that box that people, you know, expect me to be in because of my race and my gender was really, that was just, Oh God, it, it feels so good. I love talking about it. I love, I love seeing it. And it, it, it made me, it, it made me less tolerant of, you know, negative, more, more, more negative or perceiving, perceived negative depictions of black women and black people um, in films, in particular horror films for me specifically. It just, there's no excuse. Yes. When you have a film that, you know, barely had any writing time put into it and yet someone's able to leap off the screen and make that sort of impact, you're like, see, this could, this could happen across the board and people were hungry for it. They've been hungry for it for so long and like not to blow your heart or anything, but that's what is so beautifully illustrated in, in horror noir that there's this audience that has seen themselves in small and large roles and really identified with those performers and those people who have broken through and the impacts both positive and negative for all that to just be laid out for people to understand what it means. And, Oh God, I loved it. I love, I watched it three times. I'm not just blowing your horn, but I, I love it. I love the way it's laid out. I love the way it's written. I love all those performers and how they interact. It's just a fucking joy. It's you also get a little angry, but in the right way, because it shows you the impact that these people have in these roles, especially something like horror, which, you know, people are already afraid of so many real life things. This is a wonderful outlet for those who are into it and to discount an audience, to make them the butt of a joke, to, you know, make them just one type of character. It's limiting and needless and cruel and, but there was so much joy on display of of the impact of of all these performers and all these writers and actors. It's it was great. I loved it. Yeah, it was a team effort, definitely. But I, I, it was I, I I appreciate you know just I, even me looking kind of looking at it sometimes when I have seen it before when I watch it with audience because I kind of do see you know we're basing it we are basing it off a book but at the same time there's a lot of things that we put in it that i feel like are call to actions for certain um filmmakers and creatives and mm -hmm. um even certain people who have the position to give uh filmmakers of color the opportunity to create characters that i think not just we want to see but that all of us want to see in a sense so um i'd lost my train of thought but yeah thank you 
Um, <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, it, it was, you know, Get Out kind of helped us create this film and kind of like have a 360 conversation about the history and where we are today. But for, you know, I think we all have our, um, we, we all have our, uh, our milestones with um, the engagement with horror and the way, we, the way we've seen ourselves in it. And Sheila was that for me. Um, oh, I, can, I can totally see that. I, I really, really enjoyed it. And I urge people who may not have had the chance yet to, to see it. This is a great time to, um, not just because of us, but in, in a year that that's had some really different kinds of performances be put out there in between, you know, from the perfection to ma, those are wildly <sighs> different roles and opportunities. <laughs> some portrayed more successfully than others. <laughs> well, let's talk about fantastic things. Let's talk about choose your own death venture. And that is when we decide of the deaths presented in this portion of the movie, if you were forced to die that way, which one would you choose and why? So up for bid, we have two deaths. One, to be suplexed into fire water and have your soul escape your body. And the second death is to have all, all the stuff inside of you sucked out of your body while French kissing Freddy Krueger. And of course, uh, Ashley is our guest. I choose you to go first. I'm going for French kissing because that's never a bad way to go out. <laughs> well, and from the looks of it, uh, Freddie is very good with his tongue. So <laughs> what a way to go. I get it. Uh, Gina, what say you? I mean, I, I would like to leave a little bit of myself uh, b- before I go, so I'm actually going to have to uh, to take Kristen's way out because you know I'm just gonna keep fucking with people from beyond the grave. <laughs> now, keep you have to understand you're gonna get burned alive in the dream world in water, and then burned alive in the real world on your bed. Yeah, and it's, it's a pretty metal way to go. It is. You're gonna be surrounded by Bop magazines. I, you know what, I, I'll have at least a nice little surge of nostalgia. <laughs> um, I, uh, I think I'm going to go with having my essence sucked out of my body by Freddy Krueger, uh, because I've always wanted to have a cool skeleton. I just, something I want. You're not really a skeleton so much, just like a husk though. Yeah. But like that husk is surrounded yeah. by like that. You've got, you've got dried like husky skin around a skeleton and I don't know. It's just me. If you if you boiled me down, you'd have a, a a dry husk around a skeleton. I think that's the way I see myself when I look in the mirror. It's a dried husk. Yeah, <laughs> dried husk of a man <laughs> who gave it who gave it all to a podcast. <laughs> I'm still awake. Uh, I, I I woke up this morning again. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I have a lot to give. I have a lot to live for. And and I have a lot of people who come to the house with very loud leaf blowers who I need to employ. So that being said, before we go, uh, Ashley, uh, where can people find out more about you uh, and what you're doing right now? Um, I don't really know what I'm doing right now, to be perfectly honest. 
Um, except for, I guess, uh, keeping Graveyard Shift Sisters um, updated as much as possible. Um, I'm uh, always on Twitter at Graveyard Sister. And uh, two notes I want to bring up really quickly. Um, just some fun facts for people. I wanted to mention that Toy New Kirk did audition for Rennie Harlan seven times before she got the role. And also the name, the name Sheila was originally Zoe in the script. So they changed it to Sheila. I don't know why, but I thought those were fun facts that I did that, hmm. I, that I recently found out. So. I wonder why I took seven auditions because seven she's... times. Who the hell is Rennie Harlan to make somebody audition for them seven times? Yeah, he made fucking made prison before this. Like, <laughs> not a great movie. Like, the best the best thing or about it are its lightning effects. Cutthroat Island ass making someone audition <laughs> seven times. Big Nordic goofball. Um, so yes, absolutely. Uh, I would highly recommend graveyardshiftsisters.com. It's a fantastic resource and I love reading your work there. Uh, Hey Gina, where can people find you here on these here internets? Well, I have my own website at ginaradcliffe.com where I write about movies and old television. And I am also a writer for the school. Um, that's uh, the school.net. I should point out .com.net. Um, I should, by the time this goes up, I should have pieces up on um, the 20th, if you can believe it, anniversary of the Blair Witch Project. Um, and then shortly around this time, I'll be doing the 40th anniversary of the Amityville Horror. Um, so again, that is at the spool. And I too am often on Twitter under Porcelain72. Yes. Read all about the devastating horror that is losing a check at a wedding. Hey, that's fucking um, terrifying. <laughs> it is. If, yeah. If you own property and you lose I, a check, it's a I big fucking deal. I posited that that is actually the scariest part of the movie, depend, depending on how old you are when you watch it. Yeah. When I was a kid, the scariest part is, is when that kid gets his uh, knuckles slammed by the window. I think about that a lot. A lot. Wait, probably too much. But probably not as much as you think about just abruptly losing $1,500 cash. Oh my God. Where, where would you come up with it? Um, there you go. Uh, any news on the Patreon front? Oh yes, yes, yes. Uh, we do have a, uh, a new Patreon. Um, he's got an incredibly awesome name. His name is Hamish McIntyre, which I have just, I've just been like texting that we got a new Patreon Hamish McIntyre. That's just the <laughs> best name ever. I, I've never heard such a, he's, you know, sound like someone on the, on the, the Scottish Highlands. Hamish McIntyre, Clan McIntyre. I love it. It's a great name. Thank you, Hamish. Wonderful. And of course, uh, this month, our Patreon exclusive will be uh, a uh, one of uh, our Patreons picked out a movie for us. It is a psychosexual sci-fi yes. thriller called Doppelganger. Yes. And so far, it involves gooey hands and inexplicable orgasms and a lot of knife murders. We haven't we haven't recorded it yet, but I am I am certain it's going to be a, a Lulu. It's, <laughs> it's, it's going to be a showstopper. It really is. Uh, and of course, if you want to catch up with us on Twitter, we're Kill by Kill Pod. You want to email us, Kill by Kill Pod at gmail.com. Instagram, Kill by Kill Podcast, and we have the Facebook group, and we have the uh, Facebook uh, page as well uh, for more news updates and that 
there for and whatever I was trying to say there. And that just about does it for us. And so until next time, uh, for myself, for Gina, and for Ashley, uh, bye-bye, everybody. How many listen i'll give you this my house very mid-century modern lots of irregular corners sure. lots of concrete there's no need to to blow this much like the pine trees are outside and it sounds like it's inside this room there he is he's right outside the door <laughs> are you editing this out I can't imagine leaving it in. Maybe I'll put it in at the very end so people yeah. can understand how much we suffered. <laughs> oh my God, he's walking back. Do, 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 do. I cannot believe it took them until 6 p.m. to do this. Well, it's probably like 125 degrees there. No. Yeah. No, it was very. No, 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 no. Summer doesn't start until the end of July in Southern California. It, that's why I'm sweating in in September and October. You climb into a, a Halloween costume and it, it all drips off of you because summer starts late. We're we're still got June gloom going on. Holy fuck! I mean, you can kind of just you know you can turn to you know the real the real nightmare is the leaf blower in the background. <laughs> yeah, I mean people understand that there's you know we're not professional. Well, you know I mean, we don't have soundproof rooms here. No, but you do sound a million miles away. Is there some me? What, yes, I'm like I'm like a foot away from the microphone. You need to be half a foot away from the microphone. Oh, God's sake! <laughs> you're going to tell me that? Oh, I can hear everything you're doing. Well, oh, is this better? Yes, yes, right. it's infinitely better. Yes. I just won't like hiccup or sneeze or breathe no. too hard or anything. Well, mute the microphone when you need to do that. Hmm. <laughs> okay. All right. He's got to be finished soon. Jesus. Don't say that. What? Jesus or, or no? That he's, he's going to be, be finished because he's going to keep right. going. He's reached the fire pit. There's not that much yard left to go. Leave this all in. <laughs> I can excise it and put it at the end. <laughs> this is a blooper reel. Yes. You know, you having a, you, you having a, uh, the leaf blower and us arguing about why I'm not sitting close enough to my microphone. Yeah. Oh, no, those are all vital parts of making the sausage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty soon we're just going to have to proceed and, and yeah, just yeah, okay. deal with it. We're, we're going ahead. Okay. Kill by Kill is produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. A Nightmare on Elm Street is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill's logos were created by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.